Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, uh, grab a copy of God's Word and get to Acts chapter 11. Acts 11, if you need to pull it up on a phone, just get it in front of you somehow. Uh, Acts 11. This is the last, uh, last sermon in a series we're calling The 4W Life, but as we've said all along, we don't want this just to be a series. Uh, this is kind of the cultural way of life that, of how we talk about following Jesus here as a church, and so i uh, excited to finish this up today. I want to let you know in two weeks, uh, we begin our summer series in the Beatitudes. And so um, probably I don't know, four, five years ago now, uh, we preached through all of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, but we're going to come back and we're going to focus uh, uh, one beatitude every week, diving deeply into it. Uh, I cannot wait for this stu- study. And I would just say, as you're witnessing to folks and, and talking to them about Christ, it's a great study to, uh, to bring them to as we look at what in the world did Jesus mean as he began, began his most famous sermon he ever preached with these statements here. And so two weeks uh, we begin our walk through the Beatitudes for the summer. Uh, For today, uh, as we um, kind of put a bow on this series, what I want to do is I want to ask this question. Now, what could this 4W life, this 4W lifestyle look like for us corporately as a faith family? Uh, In in this statement, I'm going to come back to again and again, and it's this. 4W lives united together make a God-glorifying 4W church. And, and now, if, you're the, if this is your first Sunday with us, and you're like, what in the world is 4W? Okay, uh, we have a simple mission here as a church. It's to glorify God by making disciples. It's what we believe Jesus has left us to do. The way we talk about uh, what a disciple of Jesus Christ looks like is we say they worship Christ, walk with Christ, work for Christ, and witness for Christ. We call these the 4Ws. And we've been in this series over the last few weeks just defining for us as a faith family, when we say these words, what do we mean? What are the principles of which we mean? What are the practices that should flow out of us as we seek to live lives of worship, walk, work, and witness? And so today, I I want us to look at a church in the book of Acts, uh, the church at Antioch. And now, uh, the beautiful thing about the scriptures is we get these snapshots. We get to understand how God was at work in different churches that we see um, in the early church period. And one of my favorites to study is the church at Antioch. And, and, and I, I love what we're going to see here, but I just believe as we walk through um, this section of Acts 11, I'm going to jump to Acts 13 some because we get a snapshot of Antioch there as well. We see here a 4W church. Now, this doesn't mean that if you, uh, that as you walked into their, uh, wherever they met, that uh, they had the 4Ws painted on the wall there as, as core values of their church. No, but what we see here are the principles of what it looks like to live out these things in which we have been talking about. And so I hope today accomplishes a couple things. The, the first thing I hope it accomplishes is that we look at Antioch. We, we look at them as a bit of a role model church for us. Uh, hey, hey, hey uh, what do you guys hope to be as you all grow up? Man, if, if God would give us grace to just uh, image and mirror some of the things we see in Antioch, we would praise the Lord for it. I, I also hope today accomplishes for us a bit of a review session of everything we've talked about in the 4W life. Uh, how many of you in college love the professors that did a review before the exam, right? And if you're lucky, they'd throw you a bone to be like, this will be on the test. Like, here it is, here's the question. I hope today is a bit of a review for us as well of what we mean by these four W's. And so let me pray, and then let's jump in and learn from the church at Antioch. Father, we need your help right now. Um, the last week, 
bombarded us with, uh, some of us with great joys, others of us with great pain. Um, many of us who gather here just with kind of the mundane things of life. And a lot of those things, Lord, can be robbing the attention of our heart and our mind right now. Lord, uh, uh, we also look to what's ahead in the week, and those things can rob our attention of our heart and mind right now. But Lord, we want to sit under your word. As DJ just prayed in closing of worship, Lord, um, you are God, we are not. Your word is the authority over us, not our word or not what we think. And so, Lord, we pray right now, would your word go out rightly? Would it go out in the power of your spirit? And, Lord, would we be hearers and doers of it? I ask this in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Acts chapter 11, pick it up with me in verse 19. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. And so now we, we need a little context there. If you're familiar with the story of Acts, you have that context probably. But if you're newer to it, a few chapters earlier, um, we read of the very first Christian martyr. Uh, his name's Stephen. He was stoned for his faith. And, and from that, you read in uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 19, that the, the believers begin to scatter because of this, this, this persecution. And I want you to know, every time we see persecution in the scripture, we always see God's providence over and above that persecution of scattering of his believers. And as the believer scatters, the gospel scatters, and we see the growth of the church. And so even in the hardest times throughout all of Christian history, God is powerfully at work. And so uh, this isn't planned at all. I get in a lot of trouble when I do this, okay? Because literally, this is off the top of the head, okay? Um, Sometimes, like, we can be living in times right now where it's like, man, it's hard to be a Christian. Like, oh, this is so discouraging. And just be encouraged. God is at work in the midst of that. In the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of looking around of culture and being like, what is going on? God is at work. As we stand firmly on our faith, as we proclaim the gospel firmly, God will use it. Okay, time back in, okay? Because we see it throughout all of history, God at work in the persecution. So persecution happens. Stephen is stoned for his faith. And it says the believers scattered, and it tells us here in Acts 11, some of the regions or the cities in which they're scattered to, Phoenicia, Cyprus, and then there's this, this city, Antioch. And it says, as they scattered, they were speaking the word to no one except Jews. Now, look at what it says in verse 20, though. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, uh, with that, right next to that word Hellenist, you might have a footnote in your Bible. And if you look down at the bottom, it'll tell you Greeks or Greek-speaking non-Jews. That's what my footnote says. And so you have these people, these believers. It says, as the church was scattering, they were witnessing to Jews. They were witnessing to Jews. They were witnessing to Jews. Now, this group of believers goes up into the city of Antioch, and they begin to witness to Hellenists. They begin to witness to these Greek speakers. And God's providence is all over this, because what we see happen from this point forward is when we taught through the book of Acts, we would refer to, the, the, to Antioch as HQ2. A headquarter too. If you had Jerusalem as a headquarter of the church, Antioch becomes a headquarters of the mission to the Gentiles. It's from Antioch that Paul would set out on all of his missionary journeys. It's to Antioch that Paul would return after each of his missionary journeys. 
And so Antioch was a massive missional church. And so a, a, a map, just to get your bearings, Antioch north of uh, Jerusalem. And, and, I, and I want you to understand something, because like, sometimes when we read about biblical places, we, we have this picture of like you know, three mud hut buildings and, and a dirt road. Get that out of your head. Uh, John Stott helps give us a feel for what Antioch would have been like. And he says this, no more, appropriate, no more appropriate place could be imagined, either as the venue for the first international church or as the springboard for the worldwide Christian mission. Over the years, it became known as Antioch the Beautiful because of its fine buildings, and by Luke's day, was famous for its long, paved boulevard, which ran from north to south and was flanked by a double colonnade with trees and fountains. Although it was a Greek city by foundation, its population estimated as, as at least 500,000 was extremely cosmopolitan. Greeks, Jews, Orientals, and Romans formed the mixed multitude of what Josephus, first century historian, called the third city of the empire after Rome and Alexandria. And so as God sovereignly sends up believers who begin to witness to Greek speakers, God makes Antioch like uh, the missionary headquarters, a, a cultural hotspot, a, 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 a place of, of, of deep business and trade. They become a headquarters to the mission to the Gentile world. Now, I want you to see what do we see God doing? How do we see God at work in, this beginning, in the beginnings of this church? Verse 21, and the, and the hand of the Lord was with them, these, these, these believers proclaiming the gospel, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed, what's the, what's the next word in your Bible say? And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Now, I just want to stop there because this is often a, a phrase or a verse we could overlook. But as we think about being 4W people, being a 4W church, that first W is that we're worshipers. There is no worship of Jesus until we've been won over by Jesus. There's no worship of Jesus until we've been converted to Jesus. There's no worship of Jesus until Jesus has made us born again has given us a new heart. We can't be worshipers of Jesus without knowing by faith Jesus as our Savior. And so when you look here in 21, I mean, this is what we read again and again throughout Acts, and so it can lose some of its luster, but the hand of the Lord is with them. And, and, and what's it say right after that comment? And how many, how many people? It doesn't tell us a number, but what's it say? A great number a great number who believe, they believe in Jesus, they turn to the Lord, they believe they repent, they turn away from what they had been walking in and they turn to Jesus out of faith. And it's, uh, it's the first thing I just wanna pull out here of Antioch and, and follow my structure here today. I wanna pull some things out that we see in Antioch and then I wanna come back to reminding uh, for us, what do we mean when we say worship, walk, work, and witness? Look at this first thing that we see here in Antioch, that Antioch are a people committed first to Christ. Those who have been saved, they're, they're, they're committed first to Christ. You're going to see this here. What I mean by committed first to Christ, they're following him. They're worshipers of him. They have believed in him and they have turned to him. 
Uh, I was having lunch a few weeks ago with a guy, and I just asked him, like, how'd you come to know Christ? And, and he was telling me, he said, it actually happened as, as God saved my dad. He said, once I saw the change that God worked in my dad's life, that he was not the same man, that he had completely turned from who he was and he was a brand new person. Like there was an intrigue for the gospel that I couldn't imagine. This is what happens. We turn away from who we once were and we turn to following Christ. If we're going to be worshipers and we must know him, and, and, and you hear me say this a lot. I don't want to assume that just because uh, that we all get up and we come to church that you actually know him. It's easy in our culture to just get into the religiosity of it all, the religious routine of it all. But, but like search your heart. Ask yourself, have I believed in him? Do I believe what it says that by grace you are saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Have I believed in Jesus? This is where a heart of worship has to begin. And we see this here in Acts chapter 21, that those who believe, they turn to the Lord. They turn to the Lord. They turn to following after Jesus. But this, this isn't the only aspect of worship I want to pull out here in Antioch. Make the jump with me to the very beginning of Acts chapter 13. So just two chapters over, about a chapter and a half over, the beginning of Acts 13. It says this, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Nirene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Verse 2 says, while they were what? While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Lord's going to do something and we'll come back to what he's going to do after that. Don't read ahead. No, no, no. Don't go ahead on me, okay? I know. I know. While they were worshiping, while they were worshiping and fasting, it seems that the church at Antioch had this regular rhythm of worshiping. And you're like, well, obviously, they're a church, right? That's what we do. No, there's this regular rhythm of gathering to worship. And so we see in Antioch here a people committed first to Christ. As worshipers of him, we see a people committed to regular worship. And as we seek to be a 4W people, it starts with us being, as, being worshipers of Jesus, and we've said in this series, here's how we define what it means to worship. Worship is the response of praise and adoration to God because of who God is. I mean, when you just sang that song, hallelujah, holy, holy, God almighty, the great I am, what does it do in your heart? And I'm telling you, it's not just like, oh, they just arranged the melody to like pull emotional heartstrings. No, what's happening in the heart of the genuine believer, as you proclaim those words from your mouth, your mind is engaged and it engages your heart and you're like, oh my goodness, he is the great I am. He's awesome. I mean, I, I flipped to, again, another non-planned thing, but as we're reading this, uh, um, I, I flip, or sorry, as we're singing this, I flipped to Psalm 135. All of this in the context right now of worship is a response of who God is. Uh, as we're singing that song, I flipped to Psalm 135. It says, praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Maybe that should have been more shepherding. For the Lord is good. <laughs> praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself. Israel is his own possession. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Our Lord is above all gods. 
He's above, well, I'll keep reading, it'll get there. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deep. Whatever God pleases, he does down to the deepest depths of the sea. He, he it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. He it was who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and of beast, who in your midst, O Egypt, sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants, who struck down many nations and killed mighty kings. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages, for the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold. The Work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Oh, house of Israel, bless the Lord. All right, I got to stop there. I'm not even preaching Psalm 135 today. But worship is a response to that. Not just in the passion, not just in the impassioned pleas as we gather at church, as we live out a life. It's waking up every day with that reality. How we say these practices that should inform then how we live is this, that we're actively participating in the Sunday morning worship gathering, not to check an attendance box because we need each other. That we're intentionally creating consistent rhythms of praise to God. I hope throughout this series, you've begun some rhythms of just family worship. And how many stories have I tell, told you that it's chaos and it's hard and you don't know what is sinking in with your kids, but just begin it. Begin it, that we're t intentionally creating consistent rhythms of praise. The third thing, that we're seeking awareness of idols, right? It was what we just read. Our heart, John Calvin said, read, our heart is an idol factory, and we need accountability to destroy them. These are the types of practices we want to just see continue to grow as a culture of our church. And I'm pulling all this from just a couple of things we see at Antioch, that they first turn to the Lord to give them their worship, that they have this regular rhythm of worshiping that it seems that we saw in chapter 13. Now, what about walk? Was Antioch uh, a church committed to walk with Christ? Look at what it says. I'm, I'm back now in chapter 11. Sorry, I'm taking you some different places, but I'm back in 11 Chapter 11, verse 22, says the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's hearing, there's, there's Greeks, I mean, coming to the Lord up in Antioch. The reports come to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Isn't that a great statement? If it didn't sink in, let's read it again to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. I mean, how many, of, how many of us sitting in the room, right, if that's part of our eulogy, they were faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. They, he encouraged them, remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Verse 24, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And now look at the commitment here. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called what? Uh, for a whole year, you have Barnabas, you have Saul teaching the church at Antioch. You have a commitment on the part of the people to gather to be taught. 
It's, this, it's what I want to pull from what we see here. Was Antioch a church committed to walk? I think they were. Why? Because there are people committed to gather for growth. There are people committed to gather for growth. We have to be committed to gather for growth. Not only on Sunday morning, but in our discipleship groups, uh, across coffee tables and discipleship relationships. Uh, the older in uh, the congregation pouring into the younger the younger in the congregation searching out those who are older to help pour into them, that we have to be a people committed to gather for growth. We see this here for a whole year. They met with the church and they taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians, a thought to be originally a derogatory term towards them. Those Christians, those little Christ, those Christ imitators, what an honor. What the world would shout out as derogatory, what an honor to embrace, that these are a people committed to growing in their walk with Jesus. We've said throughout this, so we want to be a church that walks. What's walk? It's a daily rhythm of abiding in Christ that leads to increasing Christ-likeness. Our walk is a daily rhythm of abiding in Christ that leads to increasing Christ-likeness. How many of you want to see increasing Christ-likeness in your life, Right? How many of you are like, no, I think, I think I'm good. I think, I think I got it. No, like all of us see the, the gap. We feel the tension of that. And so we want to be a church where we're gathering to grow. We want to be a church growing in our walk with Jesus. We said the practices of this is that we would have an intentional plan for regular prayer, Bible study, and other spiritual disciplines. Again, not as a matter of just checking off the box, but because we want to know the God of the Bible. We want to know his word. We want to get his word into us. In my, my own devotions, I just came in my Bible reading plan to Psalm 119. You want a rich study on the power of the word of God? Just slowly walk through Psalm 119. If we want to be people that these practices are just part of our life. The second practice we said of walk is this, that we're regular, regularly evaluating my life and habits in light of God's truth. This is a great exercise to not just study the word, but then to evaluate our lives, to lay our lives next to the word and say, Brock, where are there inconsistencies? Where doesn't this match up? And, and often as we evaluate our life, we invite in accountability. We invite in our spouse. We invite in those closest. We invite in the, one, the, the people we work with. And they can show us, they can help us see where there's blind spots. Where does my life not, not match up with what we see in Scripture here? And we need that. We need that. The third practice we've talked about with walk is this, that we're in vulnerable spiritual relationships with other believers. We can't walk and follow Jesus in isolation. We, I mean, you, 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 you get us isolated, it's not good. Erica was just telling me a story this week. It's going to crush a lot of your hearts, but it ends good, okay? Uh, she said she was driving on the road, and there was this mama duck with all of her ducklings following. You're like, oh, no, this is going bad already. I promise it ends well, okay? And they're crossing the road, and mama gets all the other ducklings over the curb or whatever, and one can't make it. The last one can't make it, and off mama and the other ducklings go, and Erica's, like, crying in her car. No, she wasn't really, but she's like what? No, like what's going to happen to her? And finally this other van stopped and they got mama duck, you know, little duckling back to mama. That duckling though, without the rest of the pack, it toast. Thank you. Toast. <laughs> it ain't going to end well. I'm telling you, walking with Christ without the rest of the, without the rest of the pack, toast. Don't let our hyper individualistic culture make you believe you don't need this third practice in your life. 
We have to be in vulnerable spiritual relationships with other believers. These are the things we're talking about, just want to be increasingly part of the culture of our church. And so I'm, I'm pulling some things. Antioch seems to be a place where worship was happening, where they're committed to walk together, uh, to grow in Christ's likeness. Uh, what about work? Um, what about work? Do they, do they have a heart to serve their fellow believers? Look at what it says in verse 27. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined. Now I want you to stop there. I want to ask a question as you stop right there. A prophet comes and he prophesies, there's going to be a great famine over all the world. This is going to be bad. People are going to be hurting. There's not going to be food. The disciples determined something. Now, how could we finish that statement here? Uh, often we could say, so the Christians gathered and they started praying. That's a good thing. We should. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'll provide food for where this famine is going to hit the hardest. That's a good thing. We should pray. But they also do something else here. So the disciples determine, verse 29, everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. Come on. The prophet says there's going to be a famine. Judea is going to get crushed by it. The disciples gather together and say, we got to do something to serve our brothers and sisters. Everyone bring what you can according to your ability. Let's, let's joyfully sacrifice for the good of our brothers and sisters who are going to be hit by this. Everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And verse 30, just the simple obedience. I love these first couple words. And they did so. And they did so. So, so I, here's why I love that. It wasn't like they were like praying and going like, hey, here's an idea. What if we... What if we all brought whatever we could and just pulled together our resources to meet the needs of our brothers and sisters who'll be in the family? And they're all like, oh, yeah, that was a, that's a great idea. But then they never did anything about it. Verse 30 tells us they did so. They obey this, sending to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So what do we see in the church at Antioch by means of work? We see that Antioch is a people, let's go to that work slide, a people committed to joyful sacrifice for one another. The way we've been talking about work around here is that work is the, the, the um, stewardship of all that God has given me to lovingly and sacrificially serve the body of Christ. And we're to love one another. How? And how we sacrifice for one another. How we give of ourselves for one another. The practices we want to see just increase in our body is this, that we'll actively serve as the church body gathers by joining a volunteer serve team at Redeemer. We said that week when we taught on work, we said, uh, we just want to like kill the notion of being a regular church attender where we can just come and we can sit and we can consume and then we can leave and that we're never actually engaging in the work of the church. The second practice we said is that we'll want to intentionally look for opportunities to lovingly and sacrificially serve others in my discipleship group and the broader Redeemer family. When we hear of needs, just like Antioch, when they heard of needs, they said, what, what should we do about that? How can we step up and meet that? That's what we want to see happen here. The third practice we want to see is just part of our family is this, that we'll know our spiritual gifts and we'll steward them well by using them to serve others throughout the week. How do we begin to figure out what our spiritual gifts are? We just start serving the body. 
Over time, God will bubble to the surface those things that he seemed to uniquely gift us by his spirit to do. But we just start serving. When God called me to ministry, uh, and I think I've shared this with you before, I was in college, I knew, I, I had zero desire going into college to, um, to be in ministry. I remember actually, uh, my mom and dad are here, I remember actually going home from college and telling them, and they were both just kind of like, huh. And I was like, yeah, I know. No, no, that wasn't on the radar at all. But I made this deal with God. I said, God, I will go into ministry so long as I never have to preach. That was the deal. Make me a counseling pastor, make, which I'm terrible at, by the way. Like, make me, make me whatever, I, so long as I never have to preach. And then over time, as you just begin to do different things serving the body, the Lord begins to guide and direct what he's called you to do, how he's uniquely gifted you to do. We, we, we come to know our gifts by just serving in the body. And so we just got to get active in serving one another, and the Lord will begin to reveal to us what those things he has uniquely gifted us for. Uh, how about witness? So we see Antioch, they're committed to worship. They're committed to walk. They're committed to work. Are they, are they a church committed to witness? Oh, yeah, baby. Big time. Look, uh, jump back with me, if you would, uh, to chapter 13. We're going to finish the rest of that section there. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets, teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them, and what they do? They sent them off. So we see Antioch as ascending church. It's not the only aspect of worship that we, or of witness that we see. I want to read. You can stay right where you are. I just want to read this section from you that we read earlier. Verse 24, back in Acts 11, said, For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Antioch's a place where new believers are being added to the faith family. Antioch's a place where sending is happening. Mission, missional sending is happening to the other parts of the world who desperately needed the gospel of Jesus. And so what do we see from Antioch? Uh, Antioch is a people committed to new believers being added. Antioch's a people committed to missional sending. We want to be a church committed to these things. Amen? Last week, a family was here. They were just literally, they were just driving through. They live in an RV. They were literally just driving through. And uh, they were coming from southern Indiana. Their next destination was Michigan. They had looked up where would be some churches around where we'll be that Sunday. And so they came to our church. And after the, the service, I met them. And then um, this week, we got a note from them. Last week's message was on witness, just living a lifestyle of witnessing for Jesus Christ. We got a note from them. They said, we got to the north side of Indy. And uh, we had to stop uh, at Kroger. And we're waiting in the deli line. And we're waiting and we're waiting, and we're waiting in the deli line. And uh, the wife said, I looked over and I saw this lady who had looked like she'd been waiting there a while, and uh, the Holy Spirit just prompted, like, talk to her. And so she just said, hey, or something like, hey, have you been waiting here a while? She's like, I am, and I'm in so much pain. Can you, like, can, can you help? And so uh, the, the wife said, I, I would have always been prompted to pray for her, but the Lord took it one step farther this day. And, and so the, the lady in pain, she shared that she had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And so this lady said, can I pray for you? And she prayed for her. And then after the prayer, she looked and said, do you know Jesus? And the lady in the deli line of Kroger said, I have heard of Jesus, but I don't know Jesus. And right there in the deli line of Kroger, this 
family who is just driving through is witnessing to the Lord Jesus Christ to a hurting woman. The woman ends and says, the, the hurting woman ends and says, can we talk like every month more about this? Isn't this the type of stuff you see in the Bible? Isn't it awesome to know it can still happen in the deli line of Kroger? Not Meyer, but Kroger, for sure Kroger, okay? <laughs> this is how it's supposed to be. She, he loved it, she loved it, who like, loved it. This is how it's supposed to be. Even if the response of the hurting lady would have been, get out of my face, lady, I don't want to hear about that. That's still how it's supposed, we're supposed to be faithful witnesses. But now what happened, because of the faithful witness of a family in the Deli Line of Kroger, uh, they reach out, we connect them in. Here are the great churches on the north side where she lives. Lord willing, she's going to connect into one of those. Uh, the lady is going to stay in contact with her and begin a discipleship relationship towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on! <laughs> this is what God can do in the Deli Line of Kroger. This is what God can do amongst your neighbors and amongst your coworkers and amongst your friends. We want to be a people committed to seeing new believers added. We want to be a people committed to, to missional sending. From out of our midst right here as a congregation of family is leaving as missionaries to Germany. God has made the country of Germany a strategic location for our church. One of our church planners, Jonas, as you know, is over in Germany doing ministry. Uh, Dennis and Deanna Gruning and their family are leaving our midst here, and they're heading to Germany as missionaries. Uh, Dennis has worked for 12 Stones Counseling Ministry, if you're familiar with that. He's extremely gifted in soul care and in biblical counseling. And they're heading over to, Ger to Germany here in just a matter of days. And uh, God has called them to strengthen discipleship in the Church of Germany. Dennis grew up in Germany. Gen Dennis is a German. Uh, to train and to uh, mentor biblical counselors in the country. To provide intensive counseling retreats. Uh, to meet the counseling needs of the country. Y'all, we as a church get to support them as they go obey the Lord in Germany. How awesome is that? And so if you know Dennis and Deanna, reach out, encourage them. We'll provide ways for you to stay in contact with them. But we want to be a place where we just continue to see this, this aspect of missional sending. And so when we talk about witness here, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the obedient love to those in my communities by consistently serving and sharing the gospel. We want to see these practices lived out, that we'll have a consistent life of prayer, asking for boldness and opportunity. Are you praying for the lost in your life? Are you praying every day when you get up that God would give you opportunity to share the gospel? And then let's not be surprised when we're standing in the deli line of Kroger and God gives us an opportunity. Let's step into it. And yeah, we might fumble all over ourselves as we do, and God is so glorified in our fumbling all over ourselves to try to share our faith. That we want to see this as a practice, that we'll consistently serve those in my communities and share the message of the gospel where I live, work, and play. And so this week, our last equipping video for this series, you're going to see this week, Pastor Corey doing the second part of the witness training. This is gold, y'all. If you're like, I don't, I don't feel equipped at all to know how to talk to people about Jesus Christ, you have to see this equipping video this week. So watch this teaser, and then I'll be back to close this. 
Now, last week we talked about going uh, into our communities, into our neighborhoods um, and praying for people and blessing people. And today uh, we're going to be talking about now when we engage with these people, how can we share the gospel with them? So uh, before we get started, I would encourage you to have someone with you because we will practice sharing the gospel uh, with each other and sharing the gospel is not meant to be scary. And my hope for you today is that this would feel as natural as possible since the goal is for this to be a way of life. And I would like to talk through three parts of articulating the gospel. And the first part to sharing the gospel in a conversation format is hearing their story. What I wanna do is I wanna do an exercise, okay? And I want for us to practice sharing our stories with a partner uh, in the time frames that you see on the screen. I think the best way that we can do this as a church is by going through this process of sharing this thing called the five gospel words. Some of you may have heard about this, uh, some of you may have not. And so I'm gonna spend time uh, articulating this for you. Our fifth gospel word is life. John 10, 10 says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, right? Jesus came so that we may have life being back in right relationship with the Father. First John chapter five, verse 12 says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It takes practice, practice makes perfect. Um, and I trust that the more uh, that we get reps in this, the better off we will become. But also just rest in the fact that the Holy Spirit um, will lead your gospel sharing efforts. And so this week, discipleship groups as families, we're going to roll up our sleeves. We're going to get trained in how we talk to people about Jesus Christ. It's what we want to be all about. 4W Lives United Together make a God-glorifying 4W Church. Amen? And that's what we're going after. Church, stand with me as we prepare to sing. And as you stand, um, I, I want you to, th as you leave here today, I want you to think that we are now commissioned to this as a way of life. Uh, we will trip and we will fall and we'll stumble and we won't do it perfectly, but we want these practices, these principles to guide the way we're following Jesus. You have on your seat just a little bookmark that we have left you with today. Stick it in your Bible. Stick it somewhere where you can review. This is what we mean when we talk about being a disciple of following after Jesus so you can keep these in front of us. Let me pray to commission us towards us and then let's sing as we leave here today. Father, thank you uh, for what we have been able to to walk through. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you give us the privilege of following you. Thank you that, Lord, uh, you have not left us to wonder what it looks like. You've given us your word to guide us. Now, Lord, uh, let us go out and be faithful. Just let us go out and be faithful. Let us go out and follow the promptings of your spirit. Let us go out and lead you. Lord, you are the leader. We are the followers. That's the nature of the discipleship relationship. And so, Lord, just give us the courage to follow after you with our whole hearts, all of our worship and all our walk and all our work and all of our witness. God, please, we pray that you would do that work in our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.